0: History Notes. Welcome to History Notes, a product of the Education Department of the Greensboro History Museum. History Notes, reports on the people, places, monuments, and events that have shaped our society. Sometimes we examine what has occurred long ago, and at times we look at history happening now. Grab a pad, a pen, or a digital device and get engaged with History Notes. All right. Well, good evening, everyone. I'm Rodney Dawson. I want to thank you for joining us. I'm the Curator of Education here at the Greensboro History Museum. Now for our panelists. Together, you're probably looking at 100 to 120 years of educational experience on the screen combined. Their perspective on tonight's topic, Lessons in Racism, is one that we are fortunate to get directly from the source. When uh, we used to teach, we called it Primary Source, right? We have assembled a panel that not only participated in civil rights protests, integrated local facilities, plus endured racism, but they also produced while going through. It's an achieved group of folks and they've set precedents that made it possible for yours truly to do what he does. Their life, their work, their sacrifices, and how they overcame challenges will help allow us to learn lessons in racism today so that we may make for a better tomorrow. So, the panelists, thank you and welcome. We have with us uh, Ms. Betty Mateer, retired school teacher who taught for over 32 years, Ms. Jenny Williamson. She's a retired community college ed- educator. Flossie Smith, a retired homebound school teacher of Guilford County and Coley Hooker, retired elementary school uh, principal of Guilford County. Thank you again for joining us. And so uh, I'm gonna go right into the questions. And the first question I want to ask, I want to go with Miss Flossie Smith, If I can pick on you and go first. Uh, (laughs) Can you take two minutes uh, and share one experience that you encountered uh dealing with racism and how has it or how does it still affect you today
1: um okay first i want to tell you that i'm the oldest of six children and i i started teaching almost uh out of the womb because i the, the next one came about 14 months later and i had to teach that one. i grew up in a neighborhood of whites and i was on the road where that uh no other colored people were and as far as racism is concerned i was quickly taught that um i was different because they would ride past my house and call me names call us names throw bottles in our yard and that kind of thing one the specific experience that really got me was going to the corner store and the whites would sit around and i couldn't reach what i wanted to get and they would not move so that let me know that I needed to uh, stay in my place is what they were te- teaching me at that time. And um, I've got to hear the question one more time.
0: Oh, you answered it. You answered an experience in uh, racism or less experience that you had in racism uh, that still affected you today. Okay.
1: It, okay.
0: Okay. Oh, so that was good. And uh, so, uh, Miss Betty Mateer, um, uh, you, you, you you've got some experience I know you can share and you can pick one of them. So you can give us two minutes where you can talk about something um, something that stands out uh, that still resonates with you today. Well, I was
2: raised in Greensboro, went to segregated schools all my life, but my grandmother always instilled to me that I was going to go to college. So I finished a black college and got my BA degree. Then I traveled to um, North Dakota Well, first I started in North Carolina, five years in North Carolina, North Dakota, then I went to Tainan, Taiwan, then back to North Dakota, then to North Carolina, then to uh, England, and ended up in Washington State. By my attending all of these colleges, all of these uh, segregated schools, I had my first experience at Washington East. Washington State uh, University in the master's degree program. And I was recruited to teach at a high school or a community college. Well, I had subbed at a community college, and so I liked that. And I accepted that because then I would have time to be with my children who were in high school and elementary school. After going to work at the community college, I discovered it was a predominantly white college that I didn't know from the interview. And I was the only black teacher. So I felt lonely and isolated. To make matters worse, my racist supervisor created a work schedule for me. I taught at 7.30, 9.30, 11.30, and 12.30. My co-workers taught from 9.30, 10.30, and 11.30. And they were able to teach and eat in the cafeteria. But I didn't have that choice because I didn't get out of class until 1.30 and the cafeteria closed at one o'clock. So I had to eat out of my brown bag. Well, this made me think about down south where blacks did not eat with whites. I approached my supervisor and shared with him my concerns about my schedule. And I told him it was an unfair schedule. He said, it's not about being fair. And I called him an ugly name. I won't say it on TV because it was not (laughs) nice. He slammed the door, He went in his office, slammed the door. And our communication ceased for several years. This was a powerful man. He was not only supervisor of the department, but he was uh, president of the teachers union there. However, this situation resolved in one year. I thank God for his blessings because I worked there 25 years and received numerous honors with monetary awards as an outstanding educator.
0: Well thank you for sharing that. And uh we're gonna pull more from you later on. Uh next I wanna go to Miss Jenny Williamson. Um, you know, we, we had a little rehearsal beforehand, and uh, they they revealed some information to me, uh Miss Williamson and, and uh Mr. Hooker. I'm I'm hoping they share it with you all later. It's gonna shock you. Uh we but go ahead, Miss Uh Williamson. T- tell us about an experience that you had that still sticks with you. In
3: 1960. I went to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill to get my master's degree. I was assigned an advisor who was a white male professor from Mississippi. After he reviewed my transcript, which indicated that I failed Victorian High School and I graduated from Hampton University, Hampton, Virginia. With highest honors, he said to me, I don't think you will make it here. And I said, Why not? His answer was that I had gone to a small high school and college, and that Chapel Hill may be too competitive for me. I told him all I wanted was an opportunity. I left his office in tears. After the tears, I mustered the courage and determination to stay at Chapel Hill. I was the only black person in each one of my classes. Six years later, after attending classes each summer, while attending to a family and a full-time job, I received my master's degree and graduated with honors. I made an appointment to see that same advice. And then <laughs> I told him, I made it. I said it again I made it. Mm-hmm. He looked down and then he looked up at me and apologized. That incident still affects me after 54 years. It inspires me to stand up for what I believe in. And it has given me a fierce spirit of determination.
4: Uh, I can still see it in you today. Mm -hmm. Great Jenny. Good for you.
1: Yes. Mr.
4: Hooker. Yes, (laughs) you know, I experienced racial problems long before I became a school principal. You know, I grew up with my father who teaching all of us a trade. So I was a brick mason before I got to school. And oftentimes, you were given the responsibility of teaching the white prince- apprentices to lay brick. In a couple of weeks, you will see them with the time book. And in a couple of months, they are your boss. The same person you just finished teaching. My daddy had left something with me that I could never forget. The only way one person can keep you down is you want to stay down. Now, the most memorable racial problems to me was being sent to interview for principalship in a traditionally white school. This was done by the administration to meet federal guidelines, but you knew to start with that the deck was stacked against you. The school board was made up of local residents, (laughs) predominantly white uh, people made, made the school board, and you are trying to get a job in a school where their children went to school and in a neighborhood where they had to live and cope with the problems there. So you knew, you you went with high expectations, but you weren't too disappointed because you knew the answer before you even opened the door. Okay,
0: well, thank you, sir. Thank you for sharing. I'll come back to you as well. You know, we're looking at Today is what, August 18th, uh, 1920. And so I wanna take you back to 1955. I can go back further, but I'm gonna go back to 1955. August, 1955, Emmett Till. Um, I believe it was August, December, early December, I believe it was December 1 of 1955, Rosa Parks in Montgomery, Alabama. Six days later, right here in Greensboro, December 7th, uh, Dr. George Simpkins Jr. Uh, and five others, the Greensboro Six, integrate uh, Gillespie Park Golf Course, which leads to an integration of all public facilities. He goes on to integrate the hospitals, uh, set precedent to integrate hospitals nationwide, he and some others. February 1, 1960, the, the A&T Four. Uh, now, just suppose, now, just suppose what we're facing today, uh, what happened with um, uh, uh, George Floyd in Minneapolis and the resulting protests and demonstrations and movement that we see today, even in the streets of downtown Greensboro. Um, and all of you have had a hand in protesting in your way during the times that I mentioned before. And, and whether you know, it was an outright demonstration or something you did subtly on the job, what can you offer for folks that deal with racism and, and its connection to protest uh, today, what lessons can you give to those that are watching or may watch this, on um, how they should handle it today? Uh, can I? I'm gonna flip the script. I'm gonna go with Mr. Uh, Hooker first to respond.
4: Okay, good for you. <laughs> but my best advice in, in for for protesters today is to be right in what you are seeking to change, and know what you're seeking to change, and know what is wrong with it why are you trying to change it? Don't make it a race problem. Make it a right and wrong problem or a spiritual problem. You know, all of us were, were taught by our parents and church, most of us, that things have to be done with the, with the right attitude and the right spirit. So my, my suggestion is don't make it a race problem make it a right or wrong problem and have a solution that will be beneficial to you and to the community, to those who are protesting with you. Even do it in such a way as Martin Luther King says, we'll make brothers out of those who we're protesting against. Mm -hmm. uh, And also remember, arguments never wins a battle. Okay, now you're teaching, in 1960, where are you? Where are you, Mr. Hooker? I was in Guilford County Schools, and okay. I had a I had a class of students who were arrested, and uh, you know, and they were all sent letters after they they let them out. If you want to be tried, you can come to court on a certain day, but uh, they really didn't want them to come to court. Or if you stayed away, then your case was dismissed. OK, so I, I was I was I was part of my job was motivating students to go ahead and do what you believe, but do it right.
0: OK. All right. Uh, Flossie Smith, um, where are you uh, doing this time or what, what would you offer to them?
1: Well, as one who participated in some of the demonstrations. Uh, back in my day, in 60, as you're saying, we had a lot of training on how to demonstrate. And um, we were all unified. We, we practiced uh, being arrested, uh, staying silent when uh, you were had negative comments coming from you, uh, where to stand if you wanted to go to jail. I uh, did go to jail. Was early part, stayed in a cell for a few hours, um, and, but we wanted to fill up the courthouse, the jailhouse, everything downtown, uh, Durham is where I was, at North Carolina Central. And um, we did that and we got the attention of the people. So what I would say to the protesters today is to be aware of what, as Coley said, be aware of why you're doing what you're doing and uh, don't allow all the negative comments to take you low. I like what Michelle Obama said, when they go low, you go high. So don't um, wear your feelings on your shoulder and. Realize that you're representing a lot of people, so you can't react to everything that comes at you.
0: All right, thank you. And I, uh, I got my iPad here, and I'm—I had to put one strike against you. You said central. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: can't do that. Oh, you did
0: fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Miss Williamson, what, what, what? How can you help?
3: My advice to today's protesters is don't let anyone tell you what you can't do. People will try to discourage you by saying you're not making a difference or change is taking too long. That's when your attitude must be one of persistence and strength. Continue to remember that change is a process. It takes time. Sometimes years to see the fruits of your life. I encourage today's protesters to study the movement, Mm -hmm. read about those that came before you, those who gave their lives.
1: Mm
3: -hmm. Become an expert on what you're fighting for. Be able to articulate the cause above all adhere to the
0: method of non-violence okay and before I go to miss Matthi miss Betty Mateer, uh, uh Flossie Smith can you tell us what's the purpose of filling up the jails why do you want to fill the jails up what's the end result
1: uh, we were wanting to get the attention of the people we had negotiators already we had we were uh, wanting jobs wanting to be able to eat at the lunch counters wanting to be able to go to the movie theaters. And uh, we felt, we also wanted to interrupt the flow of people going into stores because we were able to fill the whole street in order for them to get into a store, they had to cross the picket line. So um, that was our purpose.
0: Okay. And now as a teacher of uh, over 32 years, um, and the things that, that entails Miss, Uh Matera, Betty Matera, what would you offer for a protester today and and please if you can share some experience that you had when you were demonstrating or participating as you were sharing history
2: i remember all of that because in 55 i was in high school Uh, i graduated in 57 and 60 was a part of civil rights i remember george simpkins my dad was one of the golfers that went with him he was an avid golfer i would tell young people Many times protesters seeing something happen, they jump on the bandwagon and not know what it is. And I thought about the movie Cotton Comes to Harlem, when the man joined the group, and he didn't realize they were trying to get rid of Reverend Malley. He said, oh, I thought this was a group going back to Africa. So please understand the history. Know your identity, have a good self-identity for yourself know the history of the movements, the uh, enslavement community, the segregation, uh, the uh, integration, the civil rights, uh, the voter rights, the uh, black power, the black movement, know what transpired and learn what the successes were for that movement just to participate in a movement to get it moving and rally means nothing if you don't know where it's going if you don't know what the goals are so i would say be informed about that and study the successes of people like mr coley who has something to share to take a brick layer and you can move from here to here and that's what we did as black people in the south during the segregated days we started with something little and then we built on it and that's what we did with the Successes. Realize we've been fighting justice for almost 400 years since 1619. Know the history. I would say know the history, and then you know where you're going.
0: Okay. Be informed. Thank you. And and you know you remind me. I'm gonna share a quick story with my mother who was uh, in school during the time. She was at Winston Salem State. I don't hold that against her.
4: But we we forgive her. We forgive her. (laughs)
0: We Aggies
4: forgive her.
0: <laughs> she made up for it later. But um, while she was at Winston-Salem State coming from a small town in Randomwood, North Carolina, and, you know, if you were uh, responsible for taking care of a family, so if you're her father, you may not want to participate because you could lose your job and lose the ability to put food on your family's table. So uh, we know that Martin Luther King and um, those that were with him said, hey, we can use some of these young folks. So that would have been you during that time that may not have the responsibilities or the accountabilities that the adults had. But the danger was still there. And so my mother uh, did not, she actually went down to Atlanta and marched with Dr. King, but she did not get permission to do so. At the time when Salem State said, you got to get permission from your parents. And so she would send a letter home and have her sister forge her parents' signature. And then whenever they would march, if a television camera came around, they would hide. Because they didn't want to take the chance of not the school finding, well, the school number one, but their parents seeing it on TV. And uh, I think I found a number that less than 25% of uh, African Americans actually participated in the civil rights movement. So it was you all that were putting your necks on the line, so to speak. Now, I'm going to ask a two-part question, and then I want y'all to just start talking. And don't wait for me to ask, you know, we'll chime in. But how do you, number one, what fear did you have dealing with racism and dealing with a protest? And number two, how do you participate and see these things and still um, keep anger from going into your heart? Well, when, when uh,
3: my advisor told me that I couldn't make it at Chapel Hill, I was very sad, fearful, and thought I would have to go back home. That's what really gave me the fear. That's why all the tears,
4: mm-hmm.
3: sad as well.
4: You know, uh, that really didn't bother me too much because I knew if I got fired from the school system, I could go back to Lambrie. <laughs> uh, and my, my father not only taught us to, lay, taught me to lay brief, he taught me to pour concrete, to plaster, and to farm. So I had a way of making a living, mm-hmm. and believe it or not, I did it the whole time I was in school until I retired, and I'm still doing a little bit of it at ninety-one. Uh, so that was you're right. That was a threat to a lot of people, and and I'm sure that's why uh, Jesse Jackson and and those at ENT use students who didn't worry about being fired.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Okay.
1: I hope y'all heard Cully say he's yeah. 91.
0: Yeah, that was one of the things I want him to reveal. What a blessing. I, I'm waiting on Ms. Williamson to trump him. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready? I'm ready for you. So,
2: protest when we wanted to. We could not miss class and protest. Mm-hmm. It was a directive from the board that the students would be, would flunk if they protested during their class times. And at that time we only had three excused absentees in the class. So you can only be gone three times. So it was a planned venture. It wasn't that you just decided to take off and go. It was planned floss, so we just couldn't go out like you did, we had to plan to make sure that we did not flunk these classes because our parents could not afford to pay another mm-hmm. fee for us to take classes. It was a planned gesture. But you we, know. you know, for us, it was a history thing. And when we read about people hurting other people, hurting our people and not being fair to us, we wanted to do something to them. And we had some incidents in Greensboro that we weren't happy about that happened. Uh,
4: you know that same, that same threat came to our president at A and T, Doctor Gibbs, mm-hmm. and his response was that made him so famous. We teach them how to think, not what to think.
1: <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> okay. So, Gibson, you were going to say something. No,
3: I was saying that's great. Yeah.
1: Okay. You said uh, about the fear. Uh, I think because uh, for, for me, during the time in Durham, we were so unified and, and it, we had were so uh, together that it was like if one go, all go. So you weren't afraid of what you were doing because you were with a group of people that all had a purpose and you felt like you had a purpose. I remember, uh, Picketing around the, the movie theater and carrying signs, and you were you don't talk to each other, nor did you talk react to any of the uh, remarks that came at you. And we uh, would change, you know, you had a shift, how long you would be there, and we would roll out like the changing of the guards in Washington when mm-hmm. we uh, would break that line. I mean, it was so it was that kind of uh, unity that caused you not to be fearful. Because you had, you were just so happy for what you were doing that you thought you were making a difference and trying to, you were participating in a movement. I didn't, I wasn't quite as aware of that then as I am now, but um, that's, you know, that's that's how that got and how you don't hate the people. I guess I didn't know then like I know now, but uh, I think I would uh, stick to the remark that Jesus made on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I think I would keep that in my heart. You know that uh, they thought they thought they had a right to do to keep us down. We knew we we didn't. They didn't have that right, so we had to fight for it. And we're moving along slowly, still moving.
4: And okay. the other thing to go along with that, we knew that the adults in the community were supporting us. Yeah. There was no doubt that all of the adults, though they were not marching, they were supporting you. Right. Uh, and
2: we had and we had faith. We had a spiritual belief yes. in our God that he would protect us and carry us through this. We just had to endure. Mm-hmm. So there was a spirituality as well as there were tasks to be done. They did it in love. Uh, they did it as togetherness, as she said. They had a lot to, to to do with the movement.
0: Okay. So I hear you saying be strategic, be prepared, and have faith. And um, yes. in, the, in the past few weeks, I've been speaking with a lot of the protest organizers from what took place in Greensboro on May 30th and 31st. And they were just that. They were talking about how they had to have faith and how strategic they were in planning where they wanted to conduct the march. So I, I see that um and but you mentioned having something greater than yourself okay and so being in a world where you have racism being in a world where you're going to have challenges and you may have folks that don't want you to address that challenge then how do you communicate that to your students how do you maintain as these are all educators on this webinar former educators still educators uh but how do you communicate to your students especially those that now you have integrated classrooms and then how do you with this knowledge deal with parents and administrators uh that may not want you there if that makes sense
4: yes what <clears throat> one, one of the things i just said let's don't make it a race problem mm-hmm. make it a right and wrong problem and and we must also remember there were there were many uh many whites who were supporting because they knew it was wrong. Like one that went by and whispered at, at one of the, the demonstrators at the lunch counter, what took you so long? Mm-hmm. That kind of encouragement kept you going. But you you the, the other part to what you're saying, you see, during the integration, the schools were, the, the, the traditional Black schools were cut down from high school to elementary, to primary. So you really didn't have primary students demonstrating. So that was a that was a real problem. Uh, most of us were not over high schools.
0: You've been listening to History Notes, a product of the Education Department of the Greensboro History Museum. To learn more about this podcast and many more Visit our website at www.greensborohistory.org. Now let's listen in to History Notes.
3: And I want to say, um, with the protests here in 1960, I believe it was, with the Greensboro for the sit-ins, Frank McCain being one of them was a neighbor of mine in Charlotte. I didn't know, I knew he was very strong because each time we had an election, everybody would say, You you could stay as a president. I said the same thing. I see now why we kept him in there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. And Frank McCain wasn't a small man, he was a tall guy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, but strong. But you know, mm-hmm.
2: that was one person who paid a sacrifice. He was a sacrificial lamb. That was David Richmond. Mm-hmm. David Richmond. Ever get a job in Greensboro, wow. and he had a family, so it wasn't everything moved smoothly. Mm-hmm. It had a lot of atrocities going through that process. Mm-hmm. I had a friend who was from High Point, who looked as if he were white, and we were we were partners. We always uh, protested partners, and they served him, and he didn't have fifteen cents to pay for the coffee. He said, "Let me have a nickel." <laughs> <head with> <laughs> And like, oh my lord yeah we were we were together we were together there was love among us okay. we didn't fight each other we realized we didn't have nobody but each other right. doing that time, really and i think also teachers helped us teachers educated us and reminded us of where we came from and where we need to go and if we're going to improve the situation. We must educate
0: ourselves and teach others. Oh, you remember that in your in your classroom. You remember oh, those yeah. lessons and you implemented it in your classrooms. Did it give you oh, a greater gosh. care for your students? Did I have one? Did it give you all a greater care for your students?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. You had to have a great a love for people. Uh, The the wonderful thing I like about teaching is that, uh, and I had a chance to work in corporate America, is that you see a transformation. It's like Mr. Coley, see those little kids come in at the beginning and then you see them when they're leaving. It's such joy in your heart that you see a change has come over those people. And so uh, it's great when you see a change in people, a change in attitudes. It was wonderful to see so many people protesting about Floyd in Minnesota Mm -hmm. uh, to show there's a change, whereas before you had just a few. But now people say, hey, I have other atrocities that are happening in my life that aren't justified. We must also remember in the voter registration, and the voter uh, rights package, that women received a lot of special uh, honors It wasn't just black. People think it's just a black and white issue, but it wasn't. Women were able to get better jobs
1: because of that care. And I think in the, I think sort of to speak to your question, Rodney, a little bit, um, in the segregated schools, when you were teaching people, children of your same color, complexion, you were going to church with those people you were neighbors with those children and you had more uh, contact with them. You knew their parents very well. They were your friends. And that made your school situation, you know, take the village to raise the child. I mean, you knew how, how to uh, deal with the children. You knew how to discipline them. You knew how to contact their parents. You all were on the same page. And then when we had integration, where that you are just one or two black kids at first in the classroom and a whole new culture. So that was um, quite a quite a growth process for the teachers as well as the students. I mean, it was quite challenging to um, get there. And I, I taught special education for a few, few years and those children uh, were pretty, um, They were they were pretty uh, open with Mm their uh, racism. I mean, because they didn't know any better. As I said, I mean, you know, like I don't want you to touch me—that kind of situation. Mm -hmm. So we did have some things in the classroom, but it was such a different um, atmosphere that you were working in. Well,
0: Mr. Hooker, I'ma go ahead. Go ahead, Mr. Hooker.
4: I was Uh going to say, you know, my church was 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 my greatest strength it modeled what I wanted to demonstrate.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And, and when we were administrators of, of a mix of integrated staff, you had to treat people just like you were trying to demonstrate that you wanted. Right. So that you sent a lot of your, your adult teachers out with the attitude that this race is OK. Or mm-hmm. You know we know what we're doing, so we you have to try to treat people like you want to be treated, just right. like you were trying to demonstrate. Right. And 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 we used to meet quite a bit. Uh, the the black principal used to meet quite a bit on on how we're going to treat and handle folks, mm-hmm. even when we had problems. Make sure that it it, it was not a race issue. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was what you're supposed to do issue.
0: Now, how many black administrators during your tenure, how many uh, typically were in Guilford County? Could you count them on one hand, two hands? What?
4: Yes, you, easily. there was six of us principals when oh. I was in.
0: And uh, I haven't done a count, but it seems like that number has grown today.
4: It has grown was... tremendously, now, yes.
0: Now, of the six, how many were women? None.
4: None, none, none. <laughs> and I'd like but, to say... But some ladies did come in on the tail end, but none during the time we okay. started. Uh, Ms. I, Jenny,
3: go ahead. I would like to say that Mr. Coley as principal knew my son-in-law, Linwood Edwards. I think he knew everybody in Greensboro. But uh, Mr. Coley, if knew him, yes. he was one of the principals here in Greensboro. I wanted to say uh, my supervisor at Hampton Institute, it was Institute at that time, called me into her office one day, and I was really, really afraid. What have I done wrong? What have I done wrong? I had done my student teaching and what have you over in Portsmouth, Virginia. Mm -hmm. And so when I went in, she told me, I saw you strolling across the campus today. I don't want to see that anymore. I want you to stand tall, walk like you know where you're going, even if you don't. So,
0: that taught me a lot of pride. Okay. Oh man, a lot of lessons here. You know, I, I add Leah, Lena's gonna be mad at me because I, I've I added too many questions. So we got about <laughs> 10 minutes We need to squeeze in two okay. more questions, but we have touched on it a little bit, but uh, with the George Floyd situation and the racial justice reckoning, with police brutality, uh, healthcare, the disparities in healthcare that COVID-19 has really uh, highlighted in the, the inequities in education, business and housing. Um, you're very accomplished people. You are, you are retired. You could just as easily stay at home and not do webinars, but what, what, where do you see your role today in supporting these causes?
4: Sir, we don't have a choice, but to help get people to the polls to vote. We have to convince people that the power that we have now is in voting. And if we get the right folk in office, some things can change. Mm -hmm. But if we, if we, if we just sit back and like you said, do nothing, I'm retired, it's going to stay the same. Mm -hmm. So I would suggest that all of us help people to know the power of their vote and to get out to vote and to help put the right people in office. So that, so that change will come about in a decent way. Okay.
3: Well, I just turned 90. There it is. That's my second one. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I guess I have a little bit of catching up to get mm. to Mr. Coley, But nevertheless, I've experienced injustice in all of these areas mentioned. My current role is to do just what I'm doing today. I continue to speak out about the importance of the movement for civil rights. I support the protesters, and I tell my friends of all races why I support them. I talk to white people about racism and explain to them how it affects every system of our society. I stress the importance of education because here again is something that no one can take away from you. I continue to be a lifelong learner Mm -hmm. and participate in classes. Uh, Right now, I'm in two classes on Zoom and also organizations related to a variety of social justice issues. Last but most important is what Mr. Coley just said, and I reiterate, vote encourage the young people to vote. When I was the protesters' age, I was 35 years old before I could vote. So voting is one of the most valuable rights we have in this country. And if you don't exercise your voting rights, you're in danger of losing them.
0: Miss <laughs> Flossie.
1: Um, I have to support, you know, vote, vote, vote. Get to know the candidates and know their history and know what, uh, so you know who you're voting for. And voting for it, you know, voting is, you want to vote, but know who you're voting for. At least, at least what they say that they are going to do. And hopefully that's something that you want to do. Also, remember, the finances. I mean, it is expensive to do these elections and things So, and um, we have all these um, surveys that come out uh, some we need to support some of those fill those out, get them back and um, Contact the political leaders that are presently in and share some of your positions. I, I say all that, knowing that that's all you know with I'm, I'm not saying it because that's
4: what I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I know that's something that would, would help the causes. Rodney. Yes, sir. Can I give one example of how we can, how we can really help sometimes? People really are, don't understand all of the time. At, at at a restaurant about two months ago, a white lady asked me, what is this Black Lives Matter? What what does that stuff mean? What's, what's going on? And my answer my my response to her was ma'am have you do you know of a family where one child means more to the parent than another and how that child is treated does that little child who parent think is nothing does that does it that child life matters that's the same principle that's going on now we're in a we're in a society where some lives seemingly matter more than others
1: mm.
0: You see, I got to write,
1: write, write
0: the right I'm start using that. I'll give you credit for the first six months, but after that, it's mine.
4: <laughs> I, I,
1: uh, Coley, how did she take that answer?
4: She loved it. She said, "I understand."
1: Hey, okay. Well, okay, good.
2: That's a new word that we aren't using too much. That's systemic racism. That was a video. Uh, produced about a black man from the moment he enters America, what happens to him, the process, the health, living conditions, parents working, being able to provide his his uh, needs. And so I think we need to educate people about really the system, educate them. That's what we did with the massive voting in the 60s. We educated people. Churches did a lot of that, educating people. Yes. Uh, that, that, they did yes. a lot of that, that. Schools didn't do. We educated people. But not only vote, but take people to vote. Encourage people to vote. Absolutely. Curfew. Make sure if you're in an organization that every person in an organization is a registered voter. And even check with the neighbors. Check with all the people. This has to be a big process for <laughs> us to change conditions now. How many years have we been trying to get equality? Almost 100
4: years. And use this technology to send messages to your friends. Exactly. Remind them the last day, send them an email. Did you vote? Are you going to, you need to vote? And And we can use our social media to help tremendously keep people reminded. It's important to get out there and vote and I'll take you if you need to go. And it's get
1: up. registered. Make sure you are registered, properly registered. If you move, yes. change your address, keep all that up to date so you won't have that to hinder your
0: voting. Yes. That. Well, I'm hearing voting, strategic, faith, planning, and um, so uh, I wanna remind folks to go into that Q&A, the uh, question and answer, just hover your mouse around the bottom of the screen and you can click on that to submit a question we're running out of time, so please uh, put some questions in so uh, we can uh, ask this esteemed experienced panel while we have them. But we do have one question come from Rhonda Williams. Uh, the panelists, uh, she says, the panelists have shared what works. And this is to the floor. The panelists have shared what works, yet in 2020, African-Americans are facing systemic and institutional racism today in immeasurable ways, in spite of the advances of the Civil Rights Movement. My question is, what, in your opinion, has contributed to the current conditions? What can we do to avoid being in the same predicaments 10, 15, 20 years into the future? Anyone can take that. I
3: think this has probably been mentioned, become educated, go as far as you can go. And as I said before, no one can take this away from you. And of course, it's already been explained about the voting challenge that is
2: so very important. There's a big challenge, even with that, with this this virtual learning for our kids. Our kids are behind, and there are many parents who can't help their children with the virtual learning. And so, I think we have a role to help kids uh, at church, in the community, at the, uh, y, the YMCA. Uh, we must go at the ground and bring it up. You've Got to. Because I, I really worry about this this uh, health problems we have. It's not about getting sick and dying. It's about our kids not getting a full pledge of being educated.
0: OK, well, you addressed one of the questions that was in the chat. And again, if you have questions, go to the uh, Q&A and type it in. I'll get it uh, to our panelists. Um, but someone did say, how can we have a brighter future for our children, our children's children, and, and you kind of alluded to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I'm gonna put this one out there. Uh, someone wants to add to a question. What can we do to guide our children to prepare for a brighter future? Uh, you may have answered the question. COVID-19 is creating the diversity gap with our children. But if anyone else wants to elaborate on that, please do so.
4: Ron, one of the most important things I think that parents can do is home training. We have, to, we have to be the example for what we want our children to become. We have to be that leadership uh, in, in, in trying to do others as you want to be, be done. And helping, and at the same time, motivating them to, to use all of their talents to, to help themselves and to help others. But if you don't use your talents, if you don't get out and study and try to improve, you, there's not much help you can get. But if you motivate yourself and if you motivate your family and set these high standards, there will be no stopping.
1: And I think it should expose your children to um, things that are as much as you can afford to. I mean, You know to the movies to the computers uh when the when the i have one child one son um when he was coming along i made sure that he uh participated in boy scouts uh made sure that he participated in computer classes because Mm -hmm. they were just coming around he thought he couldn't do art so i had him in an art class i mean You just, uh, we need to expose the children as much as we can to things that are happening. He was in a leadership camp. I mean, there are a lot of things that we can uh, do for the children to prepare them for what they're going to reap in society and don't limit who they
4: befriend. Mm. Okay. And that question was. Mm Take on the alcoholic syn- uh, synonymous idea. Change those things that you can, right. and and recognize things you cannot change, and don't don't waste your time worrying about it because you can't change it. <laughs> but work on changing those good things that you can. Okay. The Serenity
3: Prayer. Yeah, ser- <laughs> I always say that. Every yeah. time today I, I find myself saying that Serenity but- Prayer. Oh.
2: Dealing. I want to add, it's nice to say all the things we can do but you know now people don't get all the information that we used to get. Newspapers aren't even affordable for the average person in Greensboro okay. and so how are you going to get the message to these kids about these activities or to the parents?
0: I'm going to say this. uh, Thank you. Dear Lord, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the.
4: Yes, sir. Um, Thank you for knowing that. Yeah. That (laughs)
0: Um, that last question was from Jean Aston Baines from the state of Washington. So she might be connected to one of you all. But um, I'm going to ask this question, then I'm going to get to my last one. We got about eight minutes. uh, So uh, be brief if you can, uh, because I want to get to that last question, because you know that's my. Is there a difference, this is from Richard Williams, is there a difference in learning how to survive racism and learning how to change racism?
4: Say that again. Is
0: there a difference in learning how to survive racism and learning how to change racism? Is there a difference between the two? I think so.
1: I think, yes, there is a difference. And I I think, um, and I don't know which is the best one. (laughs) Because surviving, you do what you think you need to do to fit in, kind of. That's the way I interpret that. And to change it, you're going to um, sort of take a position of being different and, you know, go out trying to stand up for what you want to happen to see some change happening. And it depends on how bold you are as to whether. You know, you want to keep your job, or how how involved you're going to get into changing it, or just surviving. So I, I think maybe do a little bit of both. <laughs> but you sort of, some as uh, I heard Coley say that the black principals were meeting together. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, uh, uh, I'm sure everybody didn't know you all were having those meetings, but you were supporting each other. So I think that was sort of preparing for change. And, but in the meantime, you were surviving in, in the public eye. All
0: right, I'm, go what ahead. I
1: experienced Washington, I had to survive
2: racism all my years. And then in Washington, I think I was 50, or maybe not quite 50. But I changed the racism at my school I worked in the community. And so you have to educate people
1: mm-hmm.
2: and you have to share with them and understand their perspective.
1: Because yeah.
2: a lot of them don't yeah. know any better. They only know what they've read. They haven't had any experiences and no one has taught them. So I, I think I survived both of those cultures, the racism in, in, in the South. I had racism, you know, forever, all my life. I had racism in Washington, but I confronted it, yeah. And yeah. educated it. and they became my friends.
0: Okay. Ms. So, Walker.
2: Wow. Sometimes people always have that opportunity.
3: Mm-hmm. I was gonna say, I'm in uh, Zoom class right now, white uh, privilege, and I'm the only black in that class and as you said, sometimes they just don't know. And we talk about racism, and you have to know what happened in the past before you can move forward. Mm-hmm. And it's just amazing how, how interested these white friends of mine, the class that I'm in, you know, they just said, we didn't know that was going on. We don't know anything about that,
1: <laughs> white privilege.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Ms. Flossy, did you have something to add?
1: No, I was just sanctioning. I was agreeing with what she's saying.
0: No, no worries. Okay, no worries. Uh, this has been a good discussion. Okay, now I'm going to get to the last one, but um, let's see. Four minutes, so give me 30 <laughs> seconds. I'm going to go down the line. I'm going to go Flossie Smith, Betty McTeer, Jenny Williamson, then Coley Hooker. All right, last week, history was made with Joe Biden selecting the first African-American female, or first African-American, actually, vice presidential nominee for a major party. In our nation's history, with Senator Kamala Harris of California, from lessons in racism uh, to that announcement, in a minute or the less, what are your thoughts on this notable event, Ms. Smith?
1: Um, um I'm I'm happy uh, that that he was bold enough to make that move. I do not know whether our society is ready for that or whether they will support it i pray that uh they will um but um i think it's a good thing i think it's a good thing it's a good step for women it's a good step for america so uh, i think i'll just uh, i hope it works <laughs> we go. i hope it works it will <laughs> Yeah, but a lot of people I would tell the vote. <laughs> Shirley Chisholm was a black lady who ran for
2: president. You remember Shirley Chisholm? I do. So she did so Kamala could run this time. I think it's time. Absolutely. And uh, anything that's first always seems to be distance. But she's qualified. She has credentials. Now... We have to educate people. And that's what we have to do. We have, we know we aren't going to reach everyone, but Michelle said it the other night, So we aren't going to reach everyone and everyone's not going to agree, but we have to educate. We have to educate people and tell them. Think about all the changes we went through as black people, we went from color to Negro, from Negro to all those changes weren't Easy. They weren't always acceptable. But when we educated people, they did start to listen.
0: So, educate your way through racism. Educate. (laughs) Miss Jenny Williamson.
3: I think that uh, both Biden and Harris make an excellent team.
1: Yeah.
3: We make it, right? (laughs) And right now, our country needs healing. Yes. I think that team has empathy for everybody, and we certainly do need it right now. <laughs> yeah. And as uh, as Biden, I remember him saying a slogan, I think, build back better. And I think during the, run, d- during the runoff of Paris, her thing was for all people, build back better for all people.
0: All right, Mr. Hooker, can you give me 30 seconds on that?
4: Yes. Well, you know, I, I, I don't believe Miss Harris had had anything like this in mind when she was in school. But <laughs> now getting prepared to meet the future is, is a great example. She has just found a way to get in the way. Uh, but and it also shows that racism is easing up in some hearts. Mm-hmm. That was a time he, a president would not have thought of electing, that's a true. that's true, a black for for raw running mate. Mm-hmm. So it shows some are beginning to understand that this racism is wrong, but we have to remember, folks, it's been here since Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
0: So make it about right and wrong.
4: Yes, make it about it. right and
0: wrong. <laughs> well, you know we. This is going to be a great lesson. We're going to make this available, uh, like I said, as a podcast on, on History Notes. And you can watch it again on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, put in Greensboro History Museum. And uh, we're going to make this available as a lesson, uh, a type of curriculum we're developing for the school systems. But thank you for joining us for today's webinar, our Lessons in Racism. Special uh, appreciation to Miss Jenny Williamson, Flossie Smith, Betty Mateer, and Cody Hooker. Uh, all of ever achievements. thank you for our wonderful audience as well uh, we couldn't do it without you you've been listening to history notes a product of the education department of the greensboro history museum just as you visited for this podcast continue to go to www.greensborohistory.org and select the discover and learn tab to listen again or learn more about many other subjects we also invite you to follow us on twitter facebook instagram and youtube and please stop by the museum when you can. We're located at 130 Summit Avenue, Greensboro. Hours vary, so visit our website or call 336-373-2043 for details. Once again, thank you and keep tuning in to History Notes.